I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological reading of the Gospels, today we'll be looking at John, beginning with chapter 7, verse 10, down through the end of chapter 8. In this passage, we're going to see the following events in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, in this passage, at the beginning of chapter 7, his disciples went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, And this is six months before his crucifixion. We're going to see in chapter 7, verse 10, that Jesus then follows them later on. All of these events that we're going to see in the passage today take place in Jerusalem. The receiving committee is ready in John chapter 7, verse 10. But when his brethren were gone up, then when he also opened to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? There was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He's a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil, who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work. And ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If any man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he? whom they seek to kill. But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him, and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. 
Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go into the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? Well, we see in this passage that Jesus, his brethren, had already departed to the Feast of Tabernacles. We saw that in the first ten verses of, of chapter 7 of John. And that feast was in Jerusalem. They left Jesus behind at that point in time. The festival, sometimes called the Feast of Booths, or by its Hebrew equivalent, Sukkot, that means booth. This is a fall festival held in the seventh month. That's September, October time frame six months before the Passover and the crucifixion of Jesus. Later on, however, Jesus did, in fact, arrive in Jerusalem without the fanfare of an entourage of followers. Down in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders, here referred to as just the Jews, they're searching for him. There's a buzz going on there regarding his true identity. Jesus goes into the temple to teach. It's the fourth day of this eight-day festival. We see that in verse 14, when it says the midst of the feast. What fascinates the Jewish notables is the ability Jesus has to teach without having gone to their own schools. Jesus explains how this is possible in verse 16 when he says, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Notice the implication of verse 17. It says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, if you had a relationship with God, as you say you do, God would lead you to accept the doctrine that Jesus is teaching. As he makes reference to the supernatural origin of his teaching and the carefully devised plot to put Jesus to death, Jesus is subsequently accused in verse 20 of having a demon. At this point, the verbal duel between Jesus and the Jewish leaders is in full motion. One of the big controversies of Jesus' ministry had been his practice of healing on the Sabbath day. Jesus addresses that, in verses 22 to 24, he makes the point that Moses neither forbade healing nor circumcising on the Sabbath. However, Pharisaical oral tradition had deemed circumcising acceptable, but healing not acceptable. Ironically, the forbidden practice of healing on the Sabbath was not a problem for the Jewish leaders, since they had no ability to do that anyway. In verse 24, Jesus says, "...judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment." The Greek word for appearance there is opsis, meaning that which is thought to be true, but not necessarily true. In other words, he's publicly questioning their pharisaical traditions with which they had supplemented the law of Moses. Their expansion of the Mosaic law with all of their extra-scriptural stipulations and conditions had transformed its application into an impossible set of laws that everyone, including the Pharisees themselves, had difficulty properly observing. As Jesus continues to answer questions in the temple, the common people seem to be responding favorably to what they're hearing. Notice what John 7.26 says, But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Well, Jesus is speaking with authority, and the Jewish leaders aren't stopping him. Could it be, the people wonder, that the Jewish leaders do indeed acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah? Well, keep in mind, Christ is the transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which means Messiah. Again, as on previous occasions, that comment moves this day onto a whole new level. 
With that statement, we no longer have a scenario where a wise man is teaching. We have the Messiah in the house. At this point, we see in verse 27 a common misconception in that day as a result of Jewish folklore, and that's the that the Messiah would have a mysterious and unknown beginning. On the contrary, though, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 had prophesied the birth of the Messiah. It's not clear whether or not the demonstrated ignorance of Isaiah's prophetic statement by the Jewish leadership was intentional or simply due to a lack of spiritual knowledge, or scriptural knowledge, rather. In the next few verses, as Jesus continues to teach, the Jewish leaders seek a way to put a stop to it. They would have taken him prisoner, but no one would touch him because, verse 30 says, his hour is not yet come. In other words, it wasn't time for the crucifixion at this point. That comes six months later. Jesus talks about his departure. That's an obvious reference to his ascension. But the people just don't quite comprehend it. As the Jewish leaders are looking for a way to stop him, he seems to just disappear. But in verse 37, we see that we've passed a few days. As a matter of fact, the previous verses took place in the midst of the feast, or day four of the eight-day feast. And in verse 37, we see here's the last day of the feast. So this is, this is at the end, the very last day of the eight-day feast. Verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Well, verse 14 tells us that the previous confrontation had taken place about halfway through the eight-day Feast of Tabernacles. Now, when we begin reading verse 37, as I pointed out earlier, this is clearly the last day of the festival. Jesus makes a defining statement in verses 37 and 38. Here's what he says. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This statement was particularly meaningful to the Jewish audience that day because of the manner in which Jews observed the Feast of Tabernacles on this last day. Extra-scriptural Jewish sources tell us that the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles included the daily procession of priests from the temple to the Pool of Siloam, from which they drew water, and that was poured out at the base of the temple altar. 
So you can see the relevance of Jesus' declaration concerning spiritual living water in verse 37. Verse 39 establishes that this is indeed an invitation for salvation. So they begin to wonder, is he a prophet or is he the Messiah? That distinction between Jesus' identity as a prophet or the Christ, meaning Messiah, Christos means Messiah, in verses 40 and 41, that demonstrates that apparently the Jews were being taught that the prophet prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 to 22, was not the same as the Messiah for whom they had been looking. However, Jesus points out in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, that Moses prophesied concerning the Messiah when he says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We see a similar discussion in John 1:21 between Jesus and the Pharisees. They says, uh, it says there, and they ask him, what then art thou Elijah? And he saith, I am not Art thou the prophet? And he answered, No. After some discussion, the Pharisees speak again in John one twenty-five, and here's what they say. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? It's obvious that the Jewish teaching of Jesus' day differentiated between the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18.15-22, and that prophecy concerning the Messiah. They saw it as being different. Now, if you'd like some additional insight on this distinction, and you may be confused at this point as I've been talking about this, then look at my article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org, entitled, Was John the Baptist Elijah? And then also look at my article entitled, Moses Prophesied the Messiah. And there you'll find great detail that makes distinction out of uh, uh, Deuteronomy. And again, in Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4, regarding the identity of the prophet and the Messiah. We'll see that they were one and the same, but you have to do a little bit of digging in Scripture, which I've provided for you in that article, so that you can uh, clearly understand what we're talking about here. Now, some are really thinking hard in verse 41. They ask this question, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Well, they're referencing Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and here's what that says. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Well, not realizing that Jesus was, in fact, born in Bethlehem and not Galilee, this discussion continues. It's from the um, Jewish leaders, that's the lawyers, so to speak, to these people's inquiries in verses 48 and 49. Well, that shows the mess that Judaism was in during this period. And they say, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Well, as you can see... These Jewish leaders believed that only they, who knew their own version of Jewish law, had favor with God. Everybody else was cursed as far as they were concerned. Obviously, these Jewish leaders had a real disdain for common old folks. But Nicodemus the Pharisee, who came to Jesus in John chapter 3, well, he defends Jesus in verse 51, but he's quickly put into his place by his fellow Jewish leaders on the basis of the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 verse 2. 
Now, in John chapter 8, the first 11 verses, we have the account of the woman taken in adultery. Verse 1, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Well, here's one of our very familiar stories of Scripture. It's often misused by people with political agendas to teach tolerance towards sin. But the real teaching here is a lesson on hypocrisy. By the way, the Jewish leaders, they seek to use this incident as an opportunity to trap Jesus into a public, prosecutable blasphemy. They point out that this adulterous woman is clearly in violation of written Jewish law, not just oral tradition. In verse 4, the scribes and Pharisees explained to Jesus, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Then they cite the Mosaic law in verse 5, but leaving a significant portion out. In other words, I'm asking this question, where's the man? After all, the law they're referring to in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 actually says, And the man that committed adultery with another man's wife... Even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer, and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Again I say, where is the man? Not that it always stopped them, but secular historians tell us that the Jews did not have Roman authority to execute capital punishment, except in the case of temple violations. Well, let's face it, this whole charade is just a trap to set up Jesus for capture and execution. They couldn't care less about the woman actually taken in adultery. Well, their object here was to get Jesus to dispute Mosaic law. However, the tables quickly turned on them when they're directed by Jesus in verse 7. says this, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Oops, didn't think of that. I mean, the actual stoning. In fact, none of them had the authority from the Roman government to execute another for sexual violations. And then there's that writing on the ground by Jesus thing. What did that say? Whatever Jesus wrote on the ground in front of her accusers had an impact on them. I'm guessing that whatever it was exposed their own hypocrisy to the point that it was just too embarrassing to stay around. So did Jesus here condone sinful conduct? No. Look at what he told the woman at the conclusion of this ordeal in verse 11. He says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. But our confrontations with these religious leaders, well, it's way not done. We see that we have another bout with these religious leaders, beginning with verse 12. 
Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now notice in verse 12 here, it says, Jesus spake unto them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The woman taken in adultery was apparently an interruption to the dialogue between Jesus and the Jewish leaders in John chapter 7. Now, verse 12 frames the next topic of discussion with the Jewish leaders as Jesus has just issued a general call for disciples. To properly understand this discussion, let's make certain that we understand the invitation. Jesus is proposing that the revelation of God, known here in this passage as the light of life, comes through following Jesus himself. Well, that's a strong, unpalatable statement, one that the Jewish leaders feel they must immediately and adamantly dismiss. Their very bold reply to Jesus in verse 13 is basically, you're a liar. Jesus goes on to explain his relationship with the God of Israel, mostly falling on unreceptive ears. Jesus is quite clear as he addresses them, more so than at any time previously. Remember the discussion regarding the physical origin of Jesus back in chapter 7, verses 40 to 42? Well, Jesus brings that up again here in verse 14. Without knowledge of his origin, they had dismissed Jesus as a liar. Well, who cares about the facts anyway? Then the dialogue turns to a discussion about references. Jesus declares in verse 18, The Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Jesus follows this statement with an indictment in verse 19 when he says, 
ye neither know me nor my father. Now, if you ever wonder why Jesus was not more talking to the Pharisees, well, here's your answer. They were professional religionists who didn't have a relationship with God. That's a very dangerous combination, you think about it. Yeah, but you say, aren't all religions good if you're sincere? Well, read what Jesus tells these professional religionists in verse 24. He says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Well, here's the real deal. Jesus is the only way to heaven, then and now. Now you might wonder what Jesus expects this dialogue with the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, to accomplish. Well, there's the expected outcome in verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. This is Jesus' direct reference to His crucifixion at the hands of these very same Jewish leaders. Jesus has been prophesying his crucifixion throughout his earthly ministry. Now, let's look at a few of those references, shall we? In John chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rear it up. And it says in that passage that he was speaking directly of his crucifixion, of his body. And then in John chapter 3, verse 14, he he lists the suspension of the serpent in the wilderness up on the pole as the very same way that he'll be suspended above the earth on the cross. This he spake, signifying what death he should die. So the fact is, is that Jesus referred to his crucifixion all the way back at the beginning of his ministry. Understand this. God's plan of redemption required that the Messiah first suffer death as prophesied by Isaiah chapter 53. We see, though, that many did respond to Jesus. Let's begin reading with verse 30 here. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now notice verse 30. It says, And he spake these words, many believed on him. Now we see in verses 31 and 32 a distinction between salvation and discipleship. He says, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus, did you say free? Well, that sets a fire under the Pharisees when they make their catty remark in verse 33. We be of Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Well, that sets the stage for the remaining portion of this chapter. Now, if you're still wondering about the difference between salvation and discipleship, and let me just say they are not the same thing, and you really get confused, especially in the Gospels, when you maintain that salvation and discipleship are the exact same thing, I'm here to tell you they are not. Look at my written notes on Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27 which parallels with Mark 8:34 to 38, Luke 9:23 to 26, and look at the discussion where I can conclusively show you that salvation and discipleship are not one of the same concept. Now, notice the relationship between faith in God and faith in Jesus from the words of Jesus himself here in verse 42. He says, "If God were your father, you would love me." In other words, Jesus and God are inseparable then and now. Speaking of being descendants of Abraham, Jesus makes his point regarding their highly valued heritage in verse 44 when he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Hey guys, not Abraham, but Satan's your father. Of course, they take great exception to this assessment of their spiritual blindness. 
And they continue to argue this point. Jesus then invokes the name of Abraham once again in verse 56 when he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Whoa, now that's heavy. Look at the way Paul explains it in Galatians 3.16. Here's what he says. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Here's the point Paul's making. We, as Christians, are all recipients of the promise that God made to Abraham through Abraham's most notable descendant, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and in these shall all families of the earth be blessed, well, that's talking about us. That's talking about Christians. So here's the deal on that promise. The physical descendants of Abraham got land and physical property out of the covenant. But we, as Christians, we all get Christ and eternal life. That's what we get out of the covenant. So you see, when God gave Abraham the promise of innumerable descendants, he was talking about doing so through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Now here's another strong statement by Jesus in verse 47. He says, He that is of God heareth God's words, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. With that statement, perhaps Jesus meant to remind them of Proverbs 28, 9. Here's what that says. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Whether they saw the relationship or not, Jesus plainly declares in verse 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Well, Jesus caps off this discussion this day by making a statement that identifies himself as God in verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now, what's wrong with that grammar? Well, it's actually a play on words flashing back to the burning bush from which God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall I say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, in that unusual grammatical combination in that sentence, the Greek form was is the aorist infinitive of genomai. It literally means before Abraham was born, I am. That statement is, in essence, Jesus proclaiming himself to be God in the flesh without actually saying those exact words. Well, their reaction, verse 59 says, then they took up stones to cast at him. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.